You're listening to the sermon audio from Mill Creek Community Church. If you like what you've heard or want to find out more information, please visit our website at mymillcreek.com. Bibles in the chair backs on page 23, if you'd like to read along with me. Sometime after this, the cupbearer of the king of Egypt and his baker committed an offense against their lord, the king of Egypt. And Pharaoh was angry with his two officers, the chief cupbearer and the chief baker, and he put them in custody in the house of the captain of the guard, in the prison where Joseph was confined. The captain of the guard appointed Joseph to be with them, and he attended them. They continued for some time in custody. And one night they both dreamed, the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt, who were confined in the prison, each his own dream, and each dream with its own interpretation. When Joseph came to them in the morning, he saw that they were troubled. So he asked Pharaoh's officers who were with him in custody in his master's house, why are your faces downcast today? They said to him, we have had dreams and there is no one to interpret them. And Joseph said to them, do not interpretations belong to God? Please tell them to me. So the chief cupbearer told his dream to Joseph and said to him, in my dream, there was a vine before me and on the vine, there were three branches. As soon as it budded, its blossoms shot forth and the clusters ripened into grapes. Pharaoh's cup was in my hand and I took the grapes and pressed them into Pharaoh's cup and placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. Then Joseph said to him, this is its interpretation. The three branches are three days. In three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to your office, and you shall place Pharaoh's cup in his hand as formerly, when you were his cupbearer. Only remember me when it is well with you, and please do me the kindness to mention me to Pharaoh, and so get me out of this house. For I was indeed stolen out of the land of the Hebrews, and here also I have done nothing that they should put me into the pit." When the chief baker saw that the interpretation was favorable, he said to Joseph, I also had a dream. There were three cake baskets on my head, and in the uppermost basket there were all sorts of baked food for Pharaoh, but the birds were eating it out of the basket on my head. And Joseph answered and said, this is its interpretation. The three baskets are three days. In three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head from you and hang you on a tree, and the birds will eat the flesh from you. On the third day, which was Pharaoh's birthday, he made a feast for all his servants and lifted up the head of the chief cupbearer and the head of the chief baker among his servants. He restored the chief cupbearer to his position and he placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. But he hanged the chief baker as Joseph had interpreted to them. Yet the chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. Let's pray together, please. Father in heaven, thank you for your word and for the great privilege it is to worship you together this morning. May we marvel at your infinite sovereignty over all things great and small. Spirit, we ask you to use the teaching of your word to move us to love you more than anything. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Michelle. In 1873, a well-off man and his wife who lived in Chicago decided to go on a vacation, take their four daughters with them. As they prepared to get on the steamship, 
the husband had some business that kept him back in Chicago, he sent his wife, four kids on their way. Tragically, as they were crossing the Atlantic, they hit another ship. And a telegram from this man's wife was sent when she was rescued. And in two words, she wrote, saved alone. Horatio Spafford got on a ship as quick as he could to cross and be with his wife. Maybe you've heard this story. You know what's coming next. They, he's on a steamship crossing the Atlantic when the captain says, come up to the bridge, please. When he makes it up there, the captain says, best I can tell, this is where the shipwreck happened. And I thought you would like to know. Spafford evidently went back to his cabin where he wrote the now famous words, when peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well, with my soul. I don't know about you, I've always loved that song, grew up in church singing it. Now even more, knowing the story behind those words, the kind of hope in the face of despair it would take. For us, when life seems unfair, kind of response do we offer? When God's promises seem so far out there, are we today able to find peace? If you've ever felt forgotten by God, how do you react? This morning we come to a powerful chapter in our walk through the book of Genesis. And we're going to work to get to the heart of this text. And this text, God willing, is going to get to the heart of you and me. Three questions that emerge from our text that will help us both apprehend the meaning, but also understand how to apply Genesis 40. These three questions will walk us through the entire chapter. If you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, would you go ahead and open the Genesis 40 so that as we track through this chapter, you can follow along with me. Three heart questions. The first one is this. Will you serve God faithfully even when life feels unfair? Will you serve God faithfully even when life feels unfair. If you look there in verse 1, you're going to see that some time has passed with Joseph in prison. If you're newer to Mill Creek, 
We've been tracking the life of Joseph, introduced to him in chapter 37, and over the past few chapters, we've seen him sold into slavery by his brothers, put in the household of Potiphar, falsely accused by Potiphar's wife, landing him in the king's prison. Our text doesn't tell us if it's been a couple months or a couple years, but we know from the last few verses of chapter 39, Joseph has established himself as a faithful and reliable assistant despite being in the clink. Not sure how a hierarchy works in a prison. Joseph's number two. We've got that on lock. Look again at verse one. We see that a cupbearer and baker have made their way to the clink as well. They're on the wrong side of Pharaoh's anger, and he's put them there. Why has he put them there? We don't know for sure. Seems reasonable that it would have something to do with what Pharaoh was eating, what Pharaoh was drinking. Some have speculated that there was an attempt on Pharaoh's life by poisoning him. And the way you'd get there is his drinker's food, Perhaps Pharaoh discovered the plot, did not know who instigated it, and concluded they both go to jail while we investigate who's at fault. Again, I'm speculating. Seems reasonable. They get put in the prison where Joseph is the number two in command. Look at verse three for an interesting fact. It is the captain of the guard who asks Joseph to please watch over the cupbearer and the baker. Remember from chapter 39.1 who the captain of the guard is? None other than old Potiphar himself. Joseph is responsible to take care of these two gentlemen while they're in prison. Now, something I didn't know, maybe you did. The cupbearer and the baker in Pharaoh's court are not just the help staff. See, I've just always had this idea that maybe like the chef that is at the White House makes the food and that's his responsibility to the president, so it was back then. For you would never expect the chef at the White House to also serve on the president's cabinet. Like they're not putting him up in Air Force One when there's a problem. But it's different in Egypt. I found this interesting. The cupbearer and the baker, they're not just help staff. The cupbearer and the baker are actually highly politically influential and they have a great responsibility to Pharaoh. Pharaoh trusts them not just with his life and with what he's eating and drinking, but actually entrusts to them some political responsibility. So it is as if the cupbearer and the baker, to use modern terms, are on Pharaoh's presidential cabinet. Verse 4 then, Joseph is doing what he always does, faithfully taking care of them, developing enough of a relationship with the cupbearer and the baker that he can actually read between the lines. He knows their body language. He can read a room. And he wakes up one day, he looks at him and he says, seems like y'all woke up on the wrong side of the bed. Moms and dads, you might have felt that this morning. Hey. I don't know what's wrong, but you look cranky. What's the deal, cupbearer and baker? Why are your faces downcast? The response there in verse 8 is they both experienced a bad dream. Kids, you might wake up in the middle of the night, sometimes experience a bad dream. Think, 
Someday I'm going to grow out of it. Text tells us otherwise. <laughs> Adults having bad dreams. And these guys are struggling enough they can't shake it, which leads Joseph to ask, they answer, and then Joseph says, well, tell me what the dream is. Because, because all interpretations belong to God. So spit it out. What did you dream? Now, we'll talk about those dreams in a moment, but we've already finished this first section and what our author is showing the original audience. And what I want you to see is how faithful Joseph is with the responsibilities he's been given. He is dedicated to these two men and he's fulfilling the commitment Potiphar asked him to fulfill despite his unfair situation. Here then is how I see this example challenging us. I think far too often, faithfulness for us can be contingent on whether or not we feel like God's doing what he, we want him to do in our lives. We just shoot straight for a little bit, Christian. You ever been in this situation where all the variables of your life are going really well? And you think, man, I'm happy to fulfill my commitments to the Lord. Business is booming. It's easy to write a tithe check. Relationships are fine. It's easy to pray. But when circumstances start to go south, you ever noticed it's hard to keep being faithful? When we find ourselves in a situation like Joseph, faithfulness isn't so easy. Oh, sure, we may go Ephesians 2.10, of course. We are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Yeah, 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 I, I believe that in my mind, and... And I even believe Luke 16, 10, where we read that if you're faithful with a little, you'll be faithful with a lot. Jesus tells us as much. But when push comes to shove, and we are actually facing some legitimate suffering, very often we're ready to flush our faithfulness. And here then is where this text confronts us, because Joseph has been walking the narrow path, and it is actually creating for him more suffering. The reason he's in jail is because he would not take advantage of Potiphar's wife in a sinful way. For many of us, when we find that the narrow path causes more suffering, we're ready to get off the path. But, but here's what you've got to understand. And I've got to understand this too. Suffering is not an excuse for sinning. Suffering does not excuse sinfulness. And despite the unjust punishment Joseph is facing, what we see him doing is responding with more and more faithfulness. Faithfulness in the face of his unfair circumstances. Here's the application then from this first section. For Christians, Christian, keep being faithful. Will you serve God even when life feels unfair? You may be in here and already aware of ways life has dealt you unkind cards. You may be living righteously and getting a bad deal. You may feel like, hey God, 
you're not rewarding me for my righteous behavior. And it could be true. Nevertheless, what we see from Joseph is radical faithfulness. And if you're here in a Christian, keep being faithful to God. Keep being faithful. Don't quit. Use the gifts God has uniquely given you. Serve even when it feels unfair. Easy to say, hard to do. Well, that's our first point. Let's move to a second question to continue getting into our hearts. It's the dreams in verses 9 to 19. Here's the question. Will you trust God's promises even when they are hard to believe? There in verse 9, the cupbearer shares his troubling dream first. There's a vine with three branches which buds and turns to grapes ends up in Pharaoh's cup. And because God has gifted Joseph to interpret dreams, Joseph's able to explain it. He says, cupbearer, you're going to be lifted up. Uh, would you say lifted up? One, two, three. Lifted up. Cupbearer, you're going to be lifted up and restored to your old job. That's good news. If you're the cupbearer, you're thinking, I like this thing. <laughs> I wonder if the baker's not over here on the side thinking, like a sibling who watches their kid brother open a Christmas gift. That's really awesome. I wonder if the baker's over here going, oh, yeah, okay. Maybe I'll take a turn too. <laughs> uh, but before the baker's dream gets interpreted, Joseph has something to say to the politically influential cupbearer, a crucial part of our text. Look at verses 14. Let me, let me read it straight from the text. Hey, cupbearer, Joseph says, only remember me when it is well with you. And please, do me the kindness to mention me to Pharaoh. And so get me out of this house. For I was indeed stolen out of the land of the Hebrews. And here also, I've done nothing that they should put me into the pit. J Joseph's wise to who the cupbearer is. And he realizes this is my get-out-of-jail-free pass, man. This guy can do something about two ways I've been wronged. And there are two ways Joseph was wronged. Man, I was stolen from my homeland as a slave. That wasn't right. And then Potiphar's wife lies about me. That ain't right. Hey, cupbearer, remember me, man. Would you remember me? Cupbearer has been asked a big favor. Next, the baker steps up to get his dream interpretation. We see it all there, dream and interpretation in verses 16 to 18. He had three baskets on his head. There's some food for Pharaoh in the top basket, except the birds are eating it. So Joseph interprets his dream. Hey, baker, in three days you're going to be lifted up. Would you say lifted up? One, two, three. Lifted up. Same word. Thing is... When you get lifted up, it's uh, getting your head lifted up off your body. Beggar gets bad news. If you want to study ancient execution, he's probably hung and put on a stake. That's for you, middle school boys. That's the interpretation, as you might imagine. Baker, not too happy about the deal. 
So Joseph has now interpreted two different dreams. They have two different outcomes. Both of them are getting lifted up. In very different ways, they'll be lifted up. And you could say the clock has started. Everybody's going to know in three days if Joseph really does have this gift from God to be able to interpret dreams. My guess is if we were able to interview Joseph and say, hey, Joseph, do you think that these dreams are actually going to come true? I trust that Joseph, if he could speak English, would say, totally, they're going to come true. I mean, God gave me the interpretation. It's legit. But I think if we were to ask Joseph another question, if we were to say, well, have you ever... Have you ever interpreted a dream and it didn't come true? Well, what would Joseph say to that question? Do you remember another dream that Joseph has interpreted that hasn't come true in the text? I won't read it, but you can flip back to 37. There's two dreams in Genesis 37 that he interprets that haven't come true. Do you remember what they are? It's actually his own dream. You remember there's these grain stalks that bow down to him, 11 to be exact. He tells his 11 brothers, hey, I had a dream. These 11 stalks bow down to me. And they go, Psh, like we're going to bow down to you. Then he has a second dream where the sun, moon, and stars bow down to him. So he tells his dad, he goes, you, you think we're all going to bow down to you? Yeah, right. Here's what I'm wanting us to do. I'm wanting to put these two dreams that he's interpreted that are going to get fulfilled here in a few days in the context of some other dreams that we have in this story. And I, I say all that because I wonder if for Joseph, there isn't a little bit of a crisis happening in his heart. Because he's about to see the proper interpretation that God has given him for these two men's dreams. He's going to see it fulfilled. And yet, there's another set of dreams that he's still waiting on. And I think the question that he's having to face is a question many of us feel. Are we, are we going to trust God's promises even when they're so hard to believe? See, I'm wondering if there wasn't a moment for Joseph where he goes, Come on, God. You're going to do this in three days? We can do the math in the text that it gives us to know that it's been 11 years since his dreams. He was 17 when he had those dreams. He's now 28 years old. He has not seen the dreams fulfilled yet. And what will Joseph do in the face of unfulfilled promise from God when he's seeing other promises fulfilled? My guess is the Spaffords, husband and wife who lost their kids, that awful shipwreck, I, I'm guessing they would have struggled with a question like this too. Can I really trust your promises, God, when they're so hard to believe and when I'm going through so much suffering? Spafford's wife had this beautiful quote that I think gives us a picture of where her heart went. Listen to this quote. She, she wrote, God gave me four daughters. Now they've been taken from me. Someday, I will understand why. I, I love that quote because it holds the tension of this hurts. This hurts so bad. And yet, God is good. And I'm going to one day be able to answer the question even if I can't right now. 
I think that quote gives us a vision for how we might respond. And frankly, the way we see Joseph in the text being so faithful, I think it's because he's holding on to hope, saying, yep, those two dreams are about to get fulfilled, and I'm just going to trust, even though it doesn't look very likely, you're going to see my dreams fulfilled too. Whenever you decide, Lord. I think, I think Joseph is demonstrating hope that Paul speaks of in Romans 8, 24, when he writes, hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes in what he sees? But if we hope in what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. That seems to be what Joseph's doing. But, but unfortunately for so many of us, Especially if you didn't know that the scripture actually talks about how much suffering we're going to go through, how much hardship Christians face. There are too many of us who we face difficult circumstances and we decide, I'm just going to quit God. I'm just going to flush my faith. I wonder if any of you might have been tempted to do that through some of the suffering you might have experienced. I wonder if any of you are going to be tempted to flush your faith. Kids, you may be in this position. Teenagers, college students, you may be in a position where you go, man, am I really going to hold on to God when his promises seem so far away? But here's the thing. If you're just going to flush your faith when things get hard, all that evidence is, is that you have a very small idea of who God is. What I mean is, to the person who is going through a hard time and then they go, man, I'm done. I'm done with this God thing. I'm, I'm trusting that the reason that you would flush your faith is because you can't imagine how God could take something really awful that you're going through and turn it into something so beautiful that you would actually say if you knew it, I'm glad you did that. See, for anybody who just flushes their faith, you're just evidencing you just have a small idea of who God is and how powerful he is. You don't think he's very powerful. I mean, good grief. God took death. He took the death of a man three days in a tomb and he flipped that on its head and reversed it so much that it is now our greatest hope and security for eternal life. God takes dead stuff and he does this miracle into which we go, glory to you. That's what God does. So if he can take the suffering, torture, and death of his son and turn it into something so beautiful that for all eternity, like six billion years from now, you and I are still going to be in heaven if, you, if you're in Christ. We're going to be in heaven going, dude, God is so incredible. Can you believe he took the death of his son and made it life for us? We're still going to be marveling at that. Angels are marveling at that. If he can do that, he can take whatever suffering you're going through and make it something beautiful. And you flushing your faith just shows your conception of God is very small. I'm telling you, there's a big God. And he can do whatever he wants to do with your suffering. I don't know how you're suffering. I don't know if you're suffering in your marriage or if you're suffering with kids, if you're suffering with a loved one who's walked away from the faith. I don't know if you're suffering with medical issues or 
Death is at the doorway. I don't know how you're suffering. But our response is to hope. Man, God's promises are true. I'm going to believe in God's promises. Don't be a person who, who takes grass seed, puts it on prepared soil, packs it all real tight, waters it, and waits for 90 seconds and then goes, I failed. Well, you're an idiot, it's what you are. You ain't failed. You just don't know grass seed. You may not see the promise of God peeking through the soil yet, but it's coming. All of God's promises are yes in Christ Jesus, 2 Corinthians 1. All of them. And you could take it to the bank. Application here. Believe God's promises. Here, here's where peace for your soul comes from. Here's what I'm guessing Spafford does as he's writing this hymn, It Is Well With My Soul. Man, he's, he's seeming to be anchored in and encouraging all of us to recognize that no matter how impossible God's promises to me seem, I'm going to trust God in his word. I'm going to trust it. We must allow God's word to interpret our circumstances. We cannot allow our circumstances to interpret God's word. I'm going to throw a chair through that window here in a second. I have a preaching meeting, a couple meetings where some of the team gives me good ideas. I can't remember which of the team members gave me that quote. I wish I had thought of it. I'm just acknowledging I didn't, but I love that quote. We cannot allow our circumstances to interpret God's word. That's backwards. We must allow God's word to interpret our circumstances. If you do that, then no matter what suffering God brings you, no matter what hardship you're facing, you are going to be able to anchor that his promises like grass seed will grow. And in time, you will be able to look back and say, there it is. Believe God's promises. That's our second application. It brings us to our final question to get to our heart. It's going to bring us to the end of our text. Will you believe God's sovereignty even when you feel forgotten? Look in the scriptures, verse 20. It's the third day after Joseph's interpretation, and Pharaoh has a birthday. Happy birthday, Pharaoh. He has a party. The party leads him to deal with the cupbearer and the baker. My speculation is he got to the bottom of the poison attempt and he knows who's guilty, he knows who's innocent. Both the cupbearer and the baker are being lifted up. Say lifted up, one, two, three. Lifted up, both are getting lifted up. One to his former job, one lifted up to execution. The stake and all. And then the final verse there in 23. Read it. Or see it there? Let me read it out loud. Yet the chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. I'm wondering if Joseph, the day of Pharaoh's birthday, went to sleep thinking to himself, well, it's just day one. <laughs> I mean, it's Pharaoh's birthday. Cupbearer had a big day. Maybe he'll remember tomorrow. By day four, I wonder if Joseph's going, he'll get to me. He's just got a lot on his plate right now. 
But after day 60 or day 120, if I was Joseph, the temptation for me would be to just figure it's the final nail in the coffin. In fact, peek forward to chapter 41, verse 1. Do you notice how long he's there? Two more years. Two more years he's sitting there. And my guess is, if it was me, maybe if it was you, it would be easy to get really cynical and pessimistic at this point in the life of Joseph. Come on, man. I'm trying to do everything you want me to do, and I just keep getting the bad end of the deal. And in such situations, I think it'd be easy to question God's sovereignty. Do you actually believe, Joseph, that God is in total control? That he has got all of these days exactly numbered? Nothing is surprising him. I think that'd be a tough pill for us to swallow today. Would we be willing to grant in all of the waiting and feeling forgotten, man, you're sovereign, I'm going to trust you. See, some of you here feel forgotten. You know what it's like to have somebody that you love with all of your heart just functionally forget you, hurt you, ignore you. Some of you have lost friends, like deep friends. People that you thought, hey, I know we never put it down on paper, but I didn't think there'd ever come something between us that would end our friendship, but it happened. And that hurts. When you've like tried to love people and then they walk out on you, just like, see ya, you're like, that's it? That's, that's all I get is a see ya? It hurts when you feel forgotten. And you look at all this wreckage and, and all of this carnage and you go, are you sovereign? Because right now it's hurting. So what's a Christian to do? It's easy to get cynical and pessimistic. Well, we don't have to get discouraged. And, and the way we avoid discouragement and cynicism and pessimism is we remember that Joseph isn't the only character in our Bible who was innocent and forgotten. You keep on reading in the scriptures and you come to another character who was innocent. Another character who suffered for the righteous' sake. For righteousness' sake. Like Joseph, there's another character in the scriptures who declared God's promises, shared God's word, but was falsely accused and unjustly punished. In our text, there are two that go to prison and they have to have three days of waiting. This other character that you can come to in our Bible, he too had three days of waiting. And while those who killed him hoped he would be forgotten, he has never been forgotten. You know why? As it turns out, if you walk around telling people, I'm going to die, and then you're killed. And if when you were walking around telling people you're going to die, you tell them, oh, and by the way, I'm coming back to life. And then after you get killed, you come back to life. Turns out, the world don't forget you. And that's what Jesus did. Jesus turned the whole world on its head. 
good grief, we split the time continuum based on Jesus. I don't care what they're trying to say at the high school or middle school or college level right now. It is B.C. and A.D. It is before Christ and it's after Christ. And the reason our whole timetable is split on Jesus is because he flips everything upside down. And I hope he's flipped you upside down. Here's what I'm trying to get at. In God's sovereignty, he allowed Joseph to be forgotten by the cupbearer because God was doing something bigger than Joseph realized. If we were to interview Joseph today, knowing his whole story, he would say, yep, God had bigger plans than I did. I was just thinking about my brothers bowing down to me once and just feeling like, ha ha, told you so, suckers. But God has bigger plans for Joseph. God was doing something bigger than Joseph realized. And in his sovereignty, God allowed Jesus to experience death, even though the disciples didn't understand, because God was doing something bigger than the disciples realized. For us, God may allow you to struggle and suffer. But because of Christ, we can believe God is doing something even bigger than we realize, even if you feel forgotten. Here's the application. Because of Christ, endure. Because of Christ, friends, endure. Even when you feel forgotten, entrust in, in whatever circumstances you're facing to God's sovereign plan. I trust you. I may feel forgotten, but I'm going to just keep trusting you, God. And, and, and if you come here to Mill Creek week after week and you are suffering, well, I would hope you would share that with others. Share your suffering. Galatians 6, bear one another's burdens. We want to bear that with you. Don't suffer in silence. There's days I need my friends to remind me. God sees you. He has not forgotten you. Don't quit. And my guess is you could use that too. We'd love to be able to encourage one another in that way. In this text, as we come to the end of it, we find two characters to identify with. If you didn't know, there are some situations in Genesis where you can find a character to connect with. And for Christians in here, there's a character we can connect with. And for non-Christians, there's a character we can connect with. If, if you're here and you're not a Christian, the, the character that best foreshadows what you have in your future is the baker. For those here who are just checking Christianity out, or, or maybe you come because your parents make you and, and you haven't really believed this yet, maybe you're watching us online and you're just trying to get a sense of what this Christian thing is, if, if you have not trusted in Christ, you are walking in the footsteps of the baker. And here's what's going to happen. The Bible's clear. You don't have to have a dream to know it's happening. It's, it, the, the scripture will tell you there's a day coming when you're going to get lifted up to judgment. Jesus Christ is coming again to judge the living and the dead. You will be judged and you will be found wanting. You have sinned against the almighty king of the universe. And he is right to justly punish you forever. If you're not a Christian, you have before you an outcome like the baker. 
But it's not just one moment and then you're dead. What the Bible teaches is terribly uncomfortable and scary. It's eternal conscious punishment. And I know that's not popular today, and I know some people want to step away from it. It's just what the text says. There's, a, there's an invitation here that for you. You don't have to walk out the baker. The other character you can rec- recognize with and, and identify with, and, 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 and what I'm inviting you to be is the cupbearer. For those who are in Christ, we can identify with the cupbearer, and we have good news Jesus is coming again, and when he returns, if we are in Christ, we're going to be lifted up as well. But we're going to be lifted up to live and reign with him in the new heavens and the new earth. So if you're here and you're, you're the baker, what you must do is just call out to Christ. And it's okay to be as simple as this. Christ, I don't want the future that the baker has. Would you please, would you please welcome me into your family? If you would repent of your sins and you would trust only in Jesus, he would flip you from the baker's future to the cupbearer's future, so to speak. This would lead you to be able to endure till the end. If you're here and not a Christian, I plead with you, repent. Because the Lord is coming back. And Spafford got this. And this is why the final end of his hymn is so beautiful. He knew there was coming a day when we would get lifted out. Here's his last verse. Lord, haste the day when my faith shall be sight. The clouds be rolled back as a scroll. The trump shall resound. The Lord shall descend. And on that day, it is well with my soul. Christian, I hope it is well with your soul today, despite the difficult sufferings you face. Non-Christian, I hope you find in Christ the peace you've been looking for. May it be well with your soul. Let's pray. Now, Father, do what only you can do through the power of your spirit. Would you save? Lord, if there's anybody who is evaluating where they place all of their faith and hope and trust, I pray today would be the day. Spirit, save. For those here who do love you, are united by faith with you, Christ, would you give deep encouragement to persevere. In Jesus' name, amen. If you like what you've heard or want to find out more information, please visit our website at mymillcreek.com.